0: Hello, good morning. Um, Okay, so I'm gonna share a word with y'all today. Um, And by the way I said y'all, you might notice that I'm not from here. Uh, I am Aline, I'm the family's pastor here at KV and uh, my husband and I and our two kids moved here about almost three years ago now. And uh, we've been a part of KV ever since. So yeah, just get right into it. I have been asked today to continue the series in Luke that we're doing, and so the, chap- the chapter and verse is Luke 6, verses 12 through 19, if you have a Bible and you want to use that today. Um, so this is a shorter passage uh, in comparison to some of the other ones that we've had in our series, and um, it does give us a chance, though, to kind of zoom in and think about things deeply in, this, in these words. Um, So first we'll look at the text, we'll look at kind of what's going on, and then we'll look at some application. In other words, what does that mean for me today in my real life? Um, And I'm not normally very good at sermon titles, so I just don't really try. But today, (laughs) um, for the sake of getting your attention (laughs) and conveying the main point, um, I named it The Exchange and The Invitation. So there you go. Uh, The setup for this is that um, in the previous verses, uh, just before this passage, Jesus has been doing a lot of his counter-cultural stuff on the Sabbath, and um, he's been ruffling the feathers of some important people, Uh, and that was because it it was purposefully challenging the core of many of the systems that had been put in place by the religious leaders of that day. Um, Toby preached on this a couple of weeks ago, and speaking of good sermon titles, um, I think, Toby, you win the award. Uh, this one was called Meanness or Mercy A Tale of Two Sabbaths. I see what you did there. Um, and so please go give that one a listen if you'd like to follow along and if you missed that one to, to keep together with our journey together through Luke. Um, so, in this passage that we'll read in a moment, it also sets us up for what's called the Sermon on the Plain, and there's also something similar called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Um, And so, this was likely the message that Jesus often preached to confront the cultural reality um, and to essentially flip it on its head and really challenge some things that were happening and establish the way of his kingdom. Um, I have asked Madeline to come and read. And if you'd come up, and I just want to encourage you, think about what's happening before and after as Madeline reads for us.
1: One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who was named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from
0: him and healing them all. Um, So what we see here is happening is um, Jesus goes up to a mountain to pray alone, uh, then calling his disciples to him after praying all night, uh, calling them unto himself. He then chooses 12 of them to become his apostles. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, they come back together down to a flat place, and then there's this large number of people gathering together, apparently more of his disciples, uh, people from all over, possibly the largest crowd yet, as people kind of get catch word of Jesus and this person who heals, um, and they're sort of closing in on him. It says they were all trying to touch him. So you can imagine like sort of the claustrophobia of everyone trying to touch one person in a large crowd. And um, they were all being healed. They were being healed of their diseases. And the Bible says unclean spirits. Um, likely they were just being made whole in their bodies and minds. Um, Amazing, Just an amazing scene to think about. Um, I can imagine being there and being caught up in that moment and just in complete awe, as many people were. Um, and, And while the miracles are important and the spectacle is important and it gathers attention, as Jim will preach next week, for Jesus to now speak about his kingdom and talk about this message that he's setting things up for, I want to look a little closer actually at the verses preceding the miracles because I think that that's where the miracles flow out of. And um, so we're actually going to narrow this short passage down even a little bit more um, to to talk about two of the things, of the three things happening here, including the healing part. Um, And the two things will be Jesus' prayer life and then the calling of the apostles. So, In his ministry, Jesus habitually drew away alone to pray, sometimes to the top of a mountain, sometimes into the wilderness, sometimes to a desolate or isolated place. These are all ways that the Bible describes it. And from there, it just leaves sort of a big space, just he went to go and pray. But what was he doing up on the mountain? What was he doing while he prayed in these prayer times that we don't know much about. Um, Was he reciting the Shema, um, an ancient prayer of the Israelites? Was he listening to God in silence? Was he chatting with God about how annoying these people can be sometimes? Was he praying the same prayer he prayed at Gethsemane in front of his disciples? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me yet not my will, but yours be done. The Bible doesn't tell us what's happening there. That part's kept personal between him and God. And there's a pattern that we see recorded in the life of Jesus that um, we see him going away to pray and then sort of coming down and some form of miracles happen. So we can say there's a direct correlation between this prayer life of Jesus and the miracles and the transformation that is happening, right? Um, I think that we could say that it was the very sustenance of his life of ministry. Absolutely. Uh, We can also take a look at the word praying used in this verse. He spent the whole night praying. And um, if you do a little dissection into the Greek, you can find that the um, language, it comes from a root word, Uh, exchange. And so I would like to invite you to think about prayer in terms of exchange as we talk about this. So whatever was happening there on that mountain, there was this exchange going on. And this is what everyone and everything else flows out of, the miracles, the healings, the establishing of the kingdom, the transformation of people's hearts, the calling of the apostles. Here's my question, though. Why don't we have those times recorded, word for word. Like, why would Jesus not have had Matthew or someone else come up and write down exactly what was going on so we could follow that script? I mean, is the lack of info there supposed to be like the technical challenge on the Great British Bake Off where the recipe is simply make shoe pastry without any further instruction, and then, like, God's going to come and judge us like Paul Hollywood? Um, (laughs) Thankfully, no. It's not like that at all. (laughs) Um, I think if that were the case, if it were recorded word for word, it might not leave much room for the relational part of our connection with God. The human race is historically very good at taking something like that and turning it into a religious motion that ends up empty of real life exchange. And closer to a military instruction where we say, yes, sir, and run out of the room with our orders. But our God wants to go out of the room with us. He wants to walk with us as closely as we will allow. He wants to strengthen us in the exchange, listening to our heart cries and speaking transformational words to us. So this open-ended description of the exchange of prayer, where Jesus goes to pray, is actually very helpful, because it reminds us that God knows us so individually. He sees us, and he wants to have a real relationship with the real us. Uh, In KV Kids, which I have a vested interest in, uh, we're currently teaching them about... About prayer right now, and um, it's difficult to teach children like high-minded theological concepts. But it can be helpful for us to learn because we we need to kind of regurgitate it into something simple um, and yet true. Um, and so the question is to the kids, what is prayer? And the answer is simply, it is talking with God. And we can see that wind into the ideas of the exchange that's happening. Um, The conversation of prayer can be one where we are listening more than talking. It can also be one where we are pouring out our heart, thoughts, feelings without holding back because he knows us anyway and he can handle it. It can be an exchange in that it's a giving over of a burden and a receiving of grace. Uh, It can also be an exchange of forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, giving forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. God's forgiveness in full. And it can be an exchange where we come to him feeling even the slightest, slightest bit unworthy. And Jesus reminds us that having given his life for all of us, bringing us right into the embrace of God, just as we are. Fully known and fully loved. And therefore, he calls us worthy. So, After Jesus spends this night in prayer, in the exchange, he calls his disciples to himself, and then he chooses the 12 apostles. So who were these 12 apostles? Vocationally, we know that four of them were fishermen. One was a tax collector and likely completely ostracized. From his community, for being the tax collector, um, a zealot is listed, likely a carpenter or tradesperson in there, and we know that Judas was the treasurer uh, while following Jesus and ended up actually betraying Jesus, yet still appointed uh, on that day as an apostle. These were the sent ones, the ambassadors of Jesus's kingdom, and if you. If you think about their training and their background, I think we can all know that they did not have to have everything figured out. They didn't have to because they were following Jesus. Jesus didn't plan on finding people that had everything figured out. And I think that speaks to us today. What he's calling us to do, we don't, we don't have to have everything figured out. That's a really comforting word. Um, It's also significant that Jesus chose them rather than the more customary of um, in that day that followers choosing their own rabbi. And um, Jesus actually reminds his disciples of this in John 15. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear much fruit and that fruit would remain. Um, I bring this passage up because in January, Jim uh, shared this passage with us as uh, the theme that God was speaking to KV as a community for the year. And it seems like it keeps coming up. It seems like God keeps winding that back through and reminding us of this. And it really does apply to this passage today as well. Uh, In the passage when Jesus says, remain in me, depend on me, He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It seems that he was not requiring qualifications of these guys, and nor does he require qualifications of us just to remain in him, just to depend on him. Um, And it says in that verse, "As as a vine is to a branch. So when thinking about the apostles, I was a tad hesitant to compare us directly to them, the apostles, holy, calling. I don't wanna take away from the holiness of that. But the thing is that sometimes I think we can miss just how holy our callings are. For those of us who are in an unexpected vocation, maybe in a position that we feel underqualified for, an imposter syndrome as a regular visitor, you're called. For those caring for children or a loved one at home, it's a holy calling. For those who feel unseen, for the students in decision on what's next, for those in the in-between right now, it's a holy calling to be where you are. For those of you that have been in the same place for the, for a long time, it's a holy and faithful calling. And I think that there's just the heart of God for us to feel seen by him today. I think that's a word for all of us. We're seen by him. We're known deeply. Jesus called his disciples to himself. And this really speaks because before we are called to our calling or our something, we're called to someone. We're called to Jesus. We're called to follow him. It makes a lot more simple. It's it's pretty relieving, if you ask me. Before you're called to do something, you're called to be. You're called to abide in Jesus, as John 15 tells us. Everything else flows from there. And he says, the purpose is that you will bear much fruit. These things emphasize where our value is as followers of Jesus. Not in what we can achieve, but who we can depend on. The great news is that this dependence on Jesus and his way of life for us is that we will bear fruit that we could never produce on our own. It might not look like what you planned or expected, more likely not to. But there's a trust that while we're remaining in him, the formation and the fruit that emerges will last, fruit that remains Jesus gives them authority to work miracles and drive out impure spirits. Uh, then later still, he gives them bread and fish to multiply and give out to the multitudes. And in every one of these, Jesus is giving them something to give away. Whether it's natural food or spiritual food, we're called by Jesus and we're called to give away what he's given to us. So, in a, in a moment, we're going to go into some ministry time, which just simply means we're going to spend time meeting with God, talking to God, as we've said, uh, worshiping, praying. Um, in this passage, Jesus calls his disciples to himself, and he's calling us to himself today in a place of intimacy. Um, there's another type of calling um, also in Luke and it's the word in Greek called kaleo, and another word for this calling is invitation from that root word, an invitation to something specific. And the invitation just requires a yes. Perhaps there's something that you sense that God is inviting you into. Perhaps you'd like to know if there is something that God wants to invite you into, um, And if that's the case, we'll have home group members up here. We'll have people to pray with you if you'd like, uh, whether you'd like to come forward or stay in your seat. Let's go back into worship um, and just meet with God. So stand if you'd like, and I'll pray. God, thank you that you see us. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us of how simple it can be in the face of complex decisions and pressures about our identity. Lord, will you help us to remain in you? Will you help us to abide in you and depend on you? And Lord, will you just show us, um, if you have invitations for us today, will you show us what those are, I pray, in Jesus' name? Amen.